As a professional communicator, you will find yourself dealing with one or more of these five difficult conversations in your career. Chances are you're going to deal with one of them sooner rather than later. And what is the difference between those who successfully navigate through these difficult conversations and those who do not? Those who are successful don't wing it. They use what are called freestyle scripts. You know those communicators that you see that look really polished and really put together when they deliver difficult messages? It's not a natural talent. It's a developed skill. So let's talk about what these five conversations are and how you might navigate them using freestyle scripts. You ready? Conversation number one, delivering unpleasant news. Remember, when you have to deliver unpleasant news, the key to doing that is going to be your lead-in line and your closing line. Now, what you can put in between those two things is going to vary depending on the type of conversation, but lead-in lines and closing lines are key. Lead-in lines set the tone, grab the attention of the other person, open up the lines of communication, and set the stage for an important conversation that the other person will listen to without taking it personally simply because it's coming from you. So a good lead-in line, remember, consists of three components. Number one, they are short. Number two, you use the other person's name. And number three, you use I language. Then you put a period and a pregnant pause. Here's what they sound like. Mark, I have some unfortunate news. Or, Mark, I need your help. Or, Mark, I'm concerned. That's it. When you hear people start conversations like that, it immediately signals that they are trained, polished, professional communicators, and it makes the person to whom they are speaking sit up, pay attention, and listen. They almost hold their breath the whole time because that beginning lead-in line sets such a powerful tone. And remember, a closing line helps us avoid one of the most common mistakes that professional communicators make after having delivered a difficult conversation. They don't know when to quit. And so after they say whatever it is that they needed to say, they start to trail off and they say, well, that's, that's, that I just wanted to make sure that you knew that. And I, I'm really sorry that I'm the bearer of that news, but well, that's, I think that's, that's, do you have any questions? Okay, I don't have any questions. So I think that's it. Uh -huh. Remember the only person who should be saying that's it, or some version of that after they have delivered a message is Porky the Pig at the end of a Looney Tunes cartoon, not you as a professional communicator. That's what your closing line should convey, that this conversation is over and we're done. What you want to use generally is a closed-ended question. A closed-ended question is going to elicit a one-word response from the person to whom you ask it. So it could be something such as, do you need anything from me? Or are we on the same page? Or can I count on you? Any one of those types of closed-ended questions will encourage the other person to say, Yes, you can. No, I don't have any questions. Yes, we're on the same page. And then you can simply wrap it up with a simple, great. I hope the rest of your day is a pleasant one. And now you are done. There are many different scripts that you can put in between your lead-in lines and closing lines. But if you don't have a lead-in line or closing line prepared, the power of whatever you put in between those two things will be greatly diminished. So do yourself and your message a favor. Create a lead-in line and a closing line before you deliver the meat of your message. Negotiating a pay raise. Negotiating a pay raise is a difficult conversation for just about anybody the first time, but it won't be after you use this simple strategy. Remember that leading up to your negotiation of a pay raise, that is the most critical part 
of the actual negotiation process. It's not going to be the actual talk. By the time it comes for you to sit down and have a talk about your future pay, you should already, in your mind, know how much you really deserve. How do we know that? Because the entire time leading up to that conversation, whether it's six months or a year, you should be keeping what's called a value journal. That value journal is a simple chart that you fill out on a daily basis. Every day before you leave work, you fill out what you did that day that was above and beyond what you're being paid for. What extra value did you bring to that organization? And then you want to quantify that in column B with how much extra revenue doing something like that brings to your organization. For example, maybe you were asked to fill in for someone else. Maybe you permanently were asked to take over someone else's job. How much are they paid? Did you do it for a day? Did you do it for a year? That goes into the quantifiable column. Or, for example, maybe you had a day where because of your superior customer service skills, you saved Mr. Jones, a customer who was upset, from leaving the organization. Now, you used skills that day that you did not learn in the organization. You learned them on your own because that's who you are, you're a professional, and you applied them in that organization. Therefore, you want to investigate things like, how much does it cost to get a new customer? The amount might shock you, but because they don't have to do that, you saved them that amount of money. Put that in the quantifiable column. Every day you want to fill out something that you did and how much more revenue or how much value that brought to the organization. Now, if come time for your raise talk, that value journal is empty, then you know it's going to be a pretty difficult negotiation because even you can't justify why you want more money. But if by the time you get to that meeting, your value journal is full, it's very simple. About a week before that meeting, remember that the people who make these decisions are frequently people that don't even know you. You are just a number to them. Perfect. Speak their language. Numbers. Drop off a copy of that value journal with your supervisor or your manager or the person with whom you're going to have that meeting and tell them, hey, I know that in a week or so we're going to be having my review where the decision will be made as to how much of a raise I'm going to get. And I wanted to drop this off with you. If you could please share it with the CFO, the accounting department, HR, with anybody who might be involved in making that decision, I would appreciate that. And if you have any questions on it, you know where to find me, okay? When they look at what you have done and how you have made their job so much easier, they will pass out. People who use that strategy consistently report that they got not just the maximum raise, but more than the maximum raise that they even thought possible and quite frequently paired that with a promotion as well. When it comes time to sharing constructive criticism, that can be very simple. But if you don't use a system, it can be very detrimental to your professional reputation. Remember that there are several rules when it comes to delivering professional criticism. Just remember rule number one and two. Rule number one is do not deliver it unless you are asked to or unless it is part of your job to deliver that. Once you have established, yes, I need to deliver that professional criticism, then step number two is use a system. Don't wing it. If you use a system, you will know I'm delivering this to the best of my ability. For example, a very simple one under normal circumstances when you're delivering day-to-day -day criticism could be the LBNT system. LB stands for liked best. NT stands for next time. So for example, I could say to somebody who I'm critiquing about their presentation, I could say something such as, I enjoyed the passion with which you delivered your presentation today. I believe that if next time you invested more in the details and substantiating evidence, it would be even more compelling. And right there, I told you something that I liked and told you not just what I did not like, 
but I told you what to do differently the next time to make it even better. And you'll notice that, by the way, I did not say, I think that would make it better. Don't use words like better when you're delivering criticism. I think that would make it better. What does that mean? Would it be more compelling, as I mentioned? Would it be more customer-focused? Would it be more economical? Use specific words when you're delivering your criticism, and that will make the value of your criticism dramatically increase. Declining requests or saying no is number four in one of the top conversations that we're going to need to have as a professional. And it's one of the conversations that most people, frankly, avoid altogether. They simply say yes when they should say no. If you simply use a three-step script the next time you're asked to do something and you need to decline that request, it'll make your life so much easier and it will make delivering that no so much more effective. Here are the three steps that I recommend under normal circumstances for day-to-day -day requests that you can use when saying no. And these are three lead-in lines. Remember, lead-in lines can make your life so much easier. It's the beginning of sentences and it helps you fill in the end. Sometimes you don't even need to fill in anything. For example, I'd like to be helpful. However, I'm afraid. So I'm wondering. For example, let's say that you're asked to stay after work and your boss comes over and says, hey, you know, I have a life. I know that you don't. So would you mind staying after work for a couple hours and helping us finish up some things? Because I got to scram. I'd like to be helpful. However, I'm afraid that tonight I have plans. So I'm wondering, could I come in and help you out in the morning? I'd like to be helpful. I'm starting out by saying, I'm a team player on your team. Number two, however, I'm afraid. I'm letting you know I have challenges. And generally, people only ask us for either what? Our time or our money. Therefore, if I've practiced saying things such as, however, unfortunately, I've made other plans. However, unfortunately, that's not in my budget. Those two answers cover 99% of things that people ask you for. So I'm wondering, and then suggest an alternative to show again I'm on your team. Could I maybe come in early in the morning and help you out? Now, when people push it, which they tend to do, all you have to do is use the broken record. The broken record is I'm going to repeat what I just said a minute ago. But unfortunately, over half the time, professional communicators cannot do that because they really don't know what they said a moment ago because they were winging it, which is the number one mistake professional communicators make. Not you if you use a freestyle script like the, I'd like to be helpful, however, I'm afraid, so I'm wondering. So if they push it and say, well, I really need you to stay after work today. Well, again, I would like to be helpful. However, unfortunately, I'm afraid that I have other plans. So I'm wondering, could I come in in the morning and help you out? And generally by the third time you say, well, again, I'd like to be helpful. The other person will be like, all right, all right. Perfect. Remember that you don't say no for other people. You say no for you. And number five, submitting your resignation. This can be an especially difficult conversation because generally speaking, when we're submitting our resignation, we have mixed feelings because we're happy generally because we are deciding to transition to something else in our life. But generally speaking, we're anxious, we're nervous, or we feel bad about maybe leaving someone else at the office, maybe leaving our boss in a pinch. But remember again, this is one of those conversations that really it's the preparation that makes the conversation easy. When you walk in to your boss's or your supervisor's office because you want to do this in person so that you can leave the organization with your head held high, knowing when it was time for you to leave, you did it with professionalism and grace. So what you want to do is call the meeting. You're the one who's taking charge of the situation. And when you walk into the meeting, you want to hand your supervisor or your boss or whoever the person is that you believe would be the best person for this, and you want to hand them the letter that you prepared in advance, and we'll talk about that in a moment. 
and tell them I have made a decision. And sit down with your chest to the sky and your posture as high and proud as it can be. You want to look at them and wait until they finish reading the letter and you don't say a word and you don't smile. You don't fidget. You practice simply sitting there and letting them read it and absorb the information. And in that letter, you've already prepared it. It has all the technical things that a resignation letter should have. Again, I put together the list of the 10 technical things that your resignation letter should have below in the description. So click on that if you would like that. But all you do is prepare it, hand it to them. Now, in that letter, you say nothing negative. You simply tell them when you're leaving, how you're leaving, how you're transitioning, how you'll prepare, if and how you'll be available in the future to help out. And that's going to be it. Everything that you put on the record is going to be positive and is going to be something that you can stand by for the rest of your career and keep your head held high because you acted in a professional way, not only while you were there, but as you were leaving, which is really the telltale sign of how professional one is. Not how you behave in a relationship, but how you behave when you transition from or end that relationship. So you probably noticed the key to any one of these conversations is going to be preparation. As long as you do not wing difficult conversations, but you approach them as a professional using skills and scripts and tactics, you're going to not only make those conversations easier for yourself, but you're going to make them more effective and you will be known as a powerful, professional, savvy communicator.